play on Fuse Box number 57, show title. We're not here right now, but your ears are very important to us. So we've created this clip show to provide you with literally minutes of uproarious entertainment for your holiday amusement. Join us, won't you, as we relive the glorious moment of past show. And rest assured, we'll be back raring to go on fuse box number 58, provided we find our way back from this opium den in Chinatown. From fuse box number four, the fifth wall. Why the hell is number four the fifth wall? Couldn't you have number five be that? For Christ's sake. When I was a kid, I, I, I always thought about, you know, the onion skin idea. What if this, this thing we're living in is really just a, a, a very thin veil hiding a reality beyond that one? And so, as any curious kid did, I went down, and you can try this at home. This, you can go ahead and do it. As a matter of fact, I, I would urge you to do it. Let's, let's do it. Right down here it, at the baseboards, if you uh, look at the little corner down there, you've all got one. Uh, now, if you and I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna do this because it's it's much easier. If you just right down here at the very base of the floor, there's a little tab, and if you pull like this, see, there you go. See, there. Now this is central processing, but this is only central processing at this layer. There's another one beyond this, but. Right here, this is the layer right adjacent to us, maybe even a little up. You know, it's like that, that elevator that gets stuck between floors. Okay, so this is that, that place right there. See what's going on here? There's all this. And now in here, the, these things here, this, uh, I have no idea what that is. But uh, I know that it sparkles and it kind of smells. And I'm, I'm not sure what that does, but you, you don't want to take that out. You actually don't want to take any of this out of there. You just leave that and uh, look at it because it's... Uh, it's fascinating, I think. From fuse box number one, ignition, the NPR musing. Here you go. Back when I was growing up, uh, back again in that Jurassic time I was telling you about. Well, back in that time, we had this. Alternative. Alternative. Alternative radio. That's right. Alternative radio. That's what they actually called it. People like Firesign Theater and Frank Zappa and, you know, fill in the blank. People were actually getting airplay in the middle of the day, not at Monday morning at 2 a.m. No, they were really in rotation. You would hear a lot of that stuff, even earlier than that, as a long, and, and as well as, you know, progressive music of the time. So they were really quite different because right now, as we look at, the NPR type of thing, you will be hard-pressed to find any audio drama. You'll find Prairie Home Companion, which, as I was saying the other day, they can't really afford to get rid of because it occupies a space in NPR time-space continuum that if they actually removed it, it might be sucked up its own sphincter. I don't know. I, I'm just thinking that that's possible. There are great shows on there. Very well produced and really interesting stuff. Uh, Radio Lab is, I know, is it Radio Lab? I think it's Radio Lab. Is one of my favorites, um, or whatever it's called. Really like their attitude. And uh, so there is stuff being done, but where did it all go? Because it's not like it's not being done, which is one of the great things about 
this medium today is that more and more people are getting involved in this and are producing what we would then have called radio drama. It's sometimes called audio drama now. It's being done. People are doing it, whether they're doing reenactments of uh, older stories or their own stuff or whatever. It's back. And I, and I think that's great. It speaks to both the desire of those folks who remember it, but also to the audience that's apparently now keen to listen again. That was our big deal, is that getting people to listen to the radio, even in the 80s, was really hard. And by the way, that was the Reagan era. Yeah. So, really hard. And uh, th- even more hard to get grants. <laughs> we were lucky to get one from the National Endowment, and I don't know how that happened. I have absolutely no, no clue whatsoever. I'm, I, I, I'm delighted. But, wow. Really? Wow. Uh, I don't know when the last time is they funded anything in this world. Uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think it, it's, it's, it's happened. And luckily, we, there are other ways to do that these days. We don't need organizations like that as much. We were sort of uh, striking out alone there for a while. The, the, the individual radio station might put up a one-off or something. Or, uh, and then there was Tom Lopez and ZBS Media who was doing stuff pretty consistently and, and really cool stuff. And there was, of course, the commercial end of it, which to some extent, at least in those days, was still sort of out there. The CBS Mystery Theater went for quite a while. That's a commercial deal. Jim French, who I think is still producing uh, in in, uh, Seattle, was doing stuff. And so there was a little bit of that component, but they were more and more and more being relegated to the sort of, you know, oldie station and then eventually... Only bats could hear the signal, you know, that kind of thing. So they'd be quietly sort of, yeah, yeah, being quietly put out. So it got, it got kind of, kind of quiet. From Fusebox number two, Cross Currents, a podcast history. Enough said. And an associate of mine who I've worked with on projects introduced me, because I really hadn't heard anything about it, about this phenomenon that was happening called podcasting. And there was this big chief honcho type guy named Adam Curry, who apparently was waving the wand over certain people, and they were getting a lot of attention because of that little notoriety. Uh, Adam Curry, of course, being the uh, well, most of you folks know, but I mean, back in the day, this was this guy was a VJ on uh, VH1 and uh, maybe MTV, but certainly VH1, and got out of that biz. Did very well in the computer world. Sold out his cyber stuff before the big bang of you know 99 did really well moved to england and was really kind of healthy over there so he he decided he was going to you know kind of throw some logs on the fire of this idea which by the way he didn't create but he certainly maximized and uh uh people got interested and you start seeing these these programs distributed well we had the idea that we should do something but we weren't going to do a monologue type show, we thought we'd do a comedy podcast. And we did. We we created this thing called Area 51. Transmission is imminent. Area 51. Now, this show actually had featured some fun stuff. And we, we started to get a little notoriety at the famous, or now infamous, and maybe now even gone, I don't know, Podcast Alley, where in the comedy section, our show was kind of moving up the ranks there, and it was doing okay. And then, Adam Curry heard this. Every year, 
thousands of babies are sold on the South American market, and literally tens of thousands of kidneys, livers, and hearts are extracted from voluntary or involuntary donors. Yet few of those who desire a child or who suffer from liver, kidney, or heart failure are able to take advantage of the incredible discounts offered by our South American friends. Indeed, countless hearts, livers, and babies are never claimed. But on July 20th, it's all gonna change with the first annual Bolivian Baby and Organ Tissue Auction. Infants of all nationalities, stem cells, eyes of all colors, including those difficult to locate hazels, skin grafts, lungs, kidneys, at the Bolivian Baby and Organ Tissue Auction. You name it, and you buy it. Call 1-800-BODY-BUY. That's 1-800-263-9289. Or go to www.bolivianbabyauction.com and register today. The Bolivian Baby Organ Tissue Auction. It's a wee pushing the boundaries of taste. I, I mean, you know, but that was sort of the point of the show was just to be sort of aggressive. And so anyway, he heard that, waved his wand, and uh, somehow um, we went from like what was at that point several hundred downloads a week to like 50,000. <laughs> it's like... I didn't really get us much more point notoriety on the, you know, podcasty things, but uh, our server sure knew about it, crashed it actually in a couple of times. So it was incentive to continue to do that. The folks I was working with on this show took that whole idea a little more serious and they wanted to start a network and stuff. And I, that was not my thing. I'm, I'm a producer and I really enjoy creating stuff like you're hearing. So it was an interesting medium, and as many things like this, you know, you do it for about a year or so, particularly if it's production intensive like that, and in our case, it involved people all over the country, and it was very hard to kind of bring them all together at once, it sort of failed out. And that's kind of the message, I guess, I want to express here is why I actually want to do this, because, uh, you know, like, like many of the folks I've heard on, on the network here, uh, everybody has something really valuable to offer. And I hope I can kind of play ball the same way. I'd, I'd love to be able to be that, to contribute something to, of value. The following preview has been approved for all audiences. Rage has a new face. Twisted and misshapen, a face masking a deeper anger, a darker hate. All he ever wanted was to fit in, to belong, to be normal. But they wouldn't let him. And now, his revenge will be swift and certain. It will come in a wave of destruction. Never before seen by man nor beast. It will come in a rage of hate-filled hate and rage that rages with the white-hot heat of hot rage and hateful, raging hate. Yes, rage has a new face. Uh-oh.
Timo's World. Coming soon to this network. Ripped from fuse box number 17, Circuity, the vinyl rant. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Gonna ruffle a few feathers here. Oh, yeah, I know, because we already had this. We already had this conversation. All right, I, I, I know. People I know. Love their vinyl, man. Hell, I love it. I know. I'm not gonna make any. I know. Okay, let's talk about vinyl records for a minute. I probably should be yeah. putting <laughs> barricades up around the studio, man. I mean, really. Yeah, you might want to. I don't know. There could be problems. We should be, you know, alerting the media or maybe the cops. I don't know. All right, look. One of the things that's happening here in uh, the Pacific Northwest is there are vinyl mastering houses opening up in some spaces that were once closed even to take care of the rather large demand for vinyl albums these days. And it's very funny because most of the folks I know who worked in that industry over the years, you know, turned the lights out, put their coat on and walked and never turned back. And a lot of those machines and things are sitting in mothballs in places and the people who knew how to repair them are gone. And it's kind of that world. But there are some brave souls out there who are cranking up the machine again and they are meeting the demand. Um, It's pretty astounding that this thing is uh, is happening. And, you know, the nostalgia connected to, to the vinyl record and stuff is well known. It's just it's it's a part of early 20th century Myth, if you're asking me. But anyway, uh, the, making <laughs> friends, buddy. I know, but the, listen, listen, listen. There's a reason why, and I'm gonna just, I'm just gonna cut to the chase here, folks. I, I am not at all a fan of vinyl records. There is no component of that thing other than the fact that it's big. I do miss that. You could see the artwork, you could read the lyrics, you could study the pictures, and just get completely immersed in that stuff. Love that. However. Sonically, it was, to me, kind of like playing music on a tuna fish. I just, there was nothing attractive to that sound quality to me at all. And now, admittedly, I had a little issue when I was a youngster, which sort of put me on a path, well, kind of put me on two paths, as you're going to see in a second, but it put me on a path to not be as fond of this thing. So, look, I'm about, what, four, and, uh, Music was always in the house. And so my dad was a big record collector of all sorts of things. And he had this one album of uh, what could be called Caribbean steel drum music, for lack of whoever they were at the time. I don't know. And I became fascinated by that sound. I don't know. I'm four. You know, it's like, I love that sound. Please play that over and over and over again. So at nap time, they used to roll the little record player you know, into the back bedroom there and turn it on and put it on repeat play. You could do that. And it would just play the stuff over and over again. And I would drift off and be happy as a clam and wake up and, you know, I'm in Polynesia or wherever. So one fateful day, same process, put the record on. I went to sleep. Probably an hour later or something, I awoke and uh, realized I awoke to the sounds of hell. Because what was happening, dear friends, is that the record player had somehow shifted from its 33 position to 16. And so, the steel drum music sounded like it came from hell. And that was a traumatizing moment for a little kid. And uh, for me, it introduced me to the principles of mangling audio 
which of course, probably, via that trauma, I have been doing ever since. <laughs> and you get paid for it. I, and I do, yes. And so there, there it is. But it's stuck in my head, and th- from that point on, listening to a, a record album was both pleasurable because I like the music on it, but it was also there's that little pang underneath going, I sure hope it stays at the right speed. <laughs> and then, of course, there were the chunks and clicks and pops. Well, listen, folks. Does this sound really good to you? I mean, I'm just chatting along here, and there's all sorts of stuff in here. Hums and buzzes. And... See, this is not perfect audio to me. And I, admittedly, I live in this world. But still. Really? Is this... Really? Yeah. As I got older and, and uh, I, I got more into the popular music thing, I realized that uh, as I was listening to an album, the closer it got to the end of the disc, you know, towards the center there, it sounded worse. It started getting tinnier, and the frequencies sounded like they were dropping out, and we'd, we'd, we'd only be stuck with about a third of what we had <laughs> at the beginning of the album. And that was later confirmed to me by Frank Zappa, uh, <laughs> who, who basically, in his infinite wisdom, always put particular tracks on those extreme inside bands because he knew that as the record got closer to the inside, the audio quality would start to diminish to a point where it didn't sound very good. And this is what I'm trying to say about all this, by the way. I understand the nostalgic thing of it. I understand about some people just actually being physically attracted and you know enamored with the, the artifacts of that, the cracks and the pot. That's fine. I get that. But for someone on this side of the glass who has spent a fair amount of time creating work that later became that for somebody, and then particularly my friends who were mastering engineers, this is a very strange format because it's basically designed to deteriorate your audio quality. Now, I know there are people out there right now saying, are you kidding? I haven't found any CD ever made by any human being that sounds as good as this album. All I can say about that is that that's not the fault of the vinyl or the CD. It's the fault of the engineer. Because there isn't anything that's done today, whether it's tape or digital or whatever, that cannot replicate perfectly an actual live performance. Not an enhanced, over-modulated, and warmly distorted performance, <laughs> which is really when they're, when they're talking about warmth, that's really what it is, folks. It's harmonic distortion. And, you know, you can't really hear it, you feel it. But, and yeah, it does impart a certain thing. And I... I I totally understand that. That's why on the other end of the field, you've got these devices that actually saturate audio to make it sound like that. It's, it's really weird, but that's the world we're in right now. But the fact being, eh, still doesn't sound that good. <laughs> it's, you know, the wow thing and the flutter. The picture just went up at the post office. Oh, I know. So do we have like the crowd with torches and pitchforks yet? That, that could be the... It did create a bit of a monster, man. Yeah. The thing to bear in mind with this is that the amount of effort that's placed into creating a piece of music, and if anyone out there has ever done that and gone through that process and went to mastering and did all that, you know, you realize the, the hairs that you pull out by trying to get something done the way it sounds in your head. And then when it gets put on this little piece of vinyl it translates into something completely different. Now, the gifted vinyl engineers who know all that and know that famous RIAA curve thingy, 
Well, they'll do the best they can with your stuff, but it's still going to sound really different. <laughs> yeah, just don't, uh, just don't like them. Glad they're coming back because if it puts people to work and they're having fun and people are using it, good for you. But my personal taste, and it is all about my personal taste, right? It's not for me. You know, and even CDs now. There, I mean, that whole thing is going by the wayside, which for me, again, is actually great because that way most of us can release this content exactly the way it was initially recorded. And for some of us, that's at 192 kilohertz. Wouldn't that be grand? It's going to be a fat file, folks, but it's going to sound great. So, you know, all that to say that, once again, old technologies becoming new again. So let's hope they don't get too inspired with this and start bringing back 8-tracks. Here's a Japanese pocket squirrel medley. Shows 15, insert title here. Show 24, Mad Milt Furry Road. Show number 20, Flukem. And show number 24, Snow Joke. Enjoy! I, I come home, walk into the living room, and then, you know, I notice that there's like a, like a trail of dirt running across the room. Like, like, like somebody was tunneling, you know, but it's a floor. It's not a dirt floor. Things are bad, folks. They're not that bad. But uh, on closer inspection, I, I discover it's, it's dirt all right. As uh, all of the potted plants in that room, you know, they're all overturned and have been separated from their pots. And they're like rearranged in some kind of fractal superhighway all over the floor. You know, you don't have to be Sherlock Holmes to deduce who the perpetrator was. Moriarty? Only if he was a pair of Japanese pocket squirrels. And I got them red-handed on the security cam, too, yeah? Mm. Punch it up. Yeah, went on and on like that. They'd probably be putting the finishing touches on that casino by now if I hadn't walked in and spoiled the fun. Seriously. Uh, okay, uh, okay, this is uh, Fusebox, uh, show uh, 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 number 24. And uh, you, uh, uh, and you are uh, uh, running on empty. And I thank you. The emotionally stunted Milt Keynes, everybody. What the hell is all that racket? Uh, yeah, sorry. Uh, I, I gotta take the little guys to the vet today, so... Thought I'd just bring them in here while we did the show, but, uh... The little guys? I think you're scaring me now. Oh, I'm well, sorry. I, I thought you knew about them. Yeah, they're, uh, fallopian racing hamsters. Had them for a little while now. The, they're due for some shots and stuff, so I... <laughs> Wait, what? 
I thought you couldn't abide that crazy wildlife stuff. Although, uh, come to think of it, you do seem a wee fond of that uh, exotic pet monthly magazine I have out in the foyer. Is this... It is so damn cute. An endless funnel of awe and mystery. Mr. Milk Canes, everybody. Oh, my God. Back a few weeks ago, uh, some odd things started to happen around here. And if you've been listening for a while, then you know that the Japanese pocket squirrels have been... Well, they have seen to it to kind of transcend precocious and head straight for downright scary. We find them doing odd transmissions at night, right? First a podcast. Then some really creepy communication to who knows who. I discovered this, what looks like, a a Sputnik-like thing, this circular thing, and I I, I thought it was cute, right, and, you know, kind of clever. These these little critters, you know, they... But then... Then... We capture them on the security camera late at night at the fridge going for ice. And that could be anything. I know, I know, that could be anything. You know, I know. But the capper... The capper is really this morning. When I got, shh, when I got into the studio here, I check the voicemail, okay, and I find this. My name is unimportant. Who we work for, even less so. But we know who you are, and we know what you're building. Be advised that unless you cease immediately, you will be paid a visit by us. Okay, so. So now I'm officially concerned about whatever the hell is going on here, and I want all of you folks to be witness to all of it, just just in case something occurs that is much less than delightful for your humble host and associate, okay? Certainly weirder things have happened. So that's, that's it. That's all I'm going to say right now. That's where we are, and... That's the fourth wall coming away, and here we are, okay? Yeah, so now I feel a little better about that. You feel worse. Buddy, worse ain't half of it. Yes, of course. But I'm, yeah, at least everybody's in on it. So we got friends out there, and, you know, that's all I'm saying. So, Mr. Rose, you admit to owning two Japanese pocket squirrels, huh? Well, I got news for you, pal. Uncle Sam isn't just going to stand by stroking his beard and pulling his pecker while you and Keynes and your foreign car-driving drug-sniffer hippie friends drag this great country of ours down the toilet. Because here in the U.S. of A., we'll drag ourselves down the toilet. Thank you very much. So you better have proper documentation on those commie rodents of yours, mister, or I'm going to personally start kicking your butt right in the ass and...
Oh. Yeah. Jesus, Mary and Joseph, what in God's good name are those? Uh, are they bugs? Oh, cats! No, some sort of furry snake! Ah! Oh, they're trying to grab my pant legs! Ah! <laughs> yeah, they'll do that. <laughs> Sweet Jesus in the morning, they're hideous! Get them off! Get them off! Get them off! Oh, humanity! Oh, for the love of... W w would you just relax, everyone, please? They're They're harmless. Completely harmless. Yeah, well, I don't know if I go that far, man. All right, hang on here. See? Look, huh? Harmless. They're just really curious. Just, just really curious little critters. Yeah, they're just looking for a couple of nuts. Still not helping, Milt. Sorry. Somebody better start explaining or I'm gonna start shooting people in the face. It's about time. Can everyone just... Calm down, please. Look, for the last time, we didn't order any suspicious parts, and as a matter of fact, Agent Black, I do have papers for my Japanese pocket squirrels, okay? We're not drug-sniffing hippies trying to overthrow the government. Speak for yourself, man. Again, not helping. Hey, where are they going? I told you, they're curious. They have to get into anything and everything all the time. It's what they do, man, and all the time. Kind of freaks me out, actually. They went under that blanket in the corner over there. Hey, what is that? That thing under the blanket. Huh. I've never noticed that before. Let me see. Hold it right there, hippie. Do you even know what a hippie is, by the way? Agent Orange, go check it out. I'll cover Rose and Keynes here. Yes, sir. What is it, Agent Orange? I can't tell. It looks like some sort of bomb or weapon of some kind, Agent Black. Bingo. You two birds are gonna fry for this. We can explain. Sort of. We? It's not a bomb. It's not a weapon. I, 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 well, I don't know what it is, really. Hey, that's my wallet over there. I knew it. I knew those two fuzzy little bastards took it. They're always fucking around with my stuff, man. That sure looks like a bomb to me. Agent Orange, call this in. We need the bomb squad here pronto. Right. It's not a bomb. Tell it to a judge, funny boy. <laughs> What's the matter, Eco? What is it, Milo? I think Timmy fell down the well at the old Johnson's place, man. I think they want me to follow them. Hey, uh, get my wallet while you're at it, will you? Hold it right there, Rose. You're not going anywhere near that thing. Sit down. You know, I think Milt is right, Agent Black. You could really use a blow- Agent Orange, go check it out. See what itchy and scratchy they're so excited about. Yes, sir. <laughs> it looks like there's a panel here. Careful, Agent Orange. That thing could be booby-trapped. Don't touch anything. Wait for the bomb squad to get here. Right. Oh, Whoa. What are they doing? Freeze, rodents. Stop them, Agent Orange. Hey, 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 don't hurt them. Don't hurt my wallet. Seriously? Your wallet? It's a good wallet. Quiet. There's some kind of button under the panel. Okay, nobody move. Don't spook them into hitting that button. Step away, Agent. Slowly. <laughs> That's it. Easy. Easy. Tell Mom I love her, Uncle Ronnie. Easy. Keep coming. <laughs> What's that button do, Rose? Start talking. I don't know what that button does, because I don't know what that thing is. They've been building on it for weeks now. I just figured it was something harmless to keep them busy. See? 
I told you they're up to no good, man. You can't trust varmints. Uh. Uh-oh. Duck! Everyone get down! It's gonna blow! It's gonna blow! Oh, man. Sweet. Mel, get down! No way. I wanna watch this. See you on the other side, man. This is it? What the hell is that? Is everybody okay? What the hell is that? Huh? Look! Something's coming out of it! What the hell is that? Snow cone! Snow cone? Yay! <laughs> they built a snow cone machine. Well? It's been pretty hot lately. Snow cone? How could they build that? They don't even have thumbs, man. A snow cone machine? Ooh, can I have pineapple? <laughs> well, we certainly hope you enjoyed reliving those classic moments from the past as much as we did dredging them up for you. Our slippery slope of thanks to the following personages who helped us on this edition of Fusebox. Kevin Cook, Nancy Monson, Jeff Pollard, and Chris Porter. Thanks as always to the inimitable Milt Keynes for knob fondling and technical supervision. And to you, dear friends, for pushing play on this edition of Fusebox. From all of us here at Fusebox, may we wish you and yours the most happy of holiday seasons and a glorious and prosperous new year. I've been your encoded to cheap mini cassette answer machine tape host, Mark Rose, saying, until our next cartoon.